Well, here we go. Are you guys excited? We're excited. We really are. Don't don't believe the looks on these guys' faces. They are excited. We're a little nervous, but we're excited. I just want to start by just uh, uh, saying a few things as we get ready to jump into this time. We're thankful for all of you who submitted questions. We really appreciate that. You can still submit them now. Uh, again, there's a couple different ways to do that through the app, through the website, and, and get those into us. We would love for you to do that. But I just want you to know our goal, one of our taglines here at the church is to be biblically rooted. We're the Franklin Bible Church, right? And so one of our, our goal really here is just to do our best to answer your questions in the way that the Bible tells us about it, right? That's it. It's just to tell you what the Bible says, all right? Because uh, we know that from 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so that's going to be our goal. Um, we want you just to know a couple things. First of all, because we're going to handle it that way, there's no need to get angry at Pastor Joe. He's just the messenger. Okay, he's just going to try and tell you what he understands the Bible to tell us about it. So that's one thing. Um, also, um, we want you just to be filled with grace as we go through this too, because there's going to be some tough questions and there may be even some questions that um, there might be differing opinions out there because the Bible is not super clear on it. And so there are different camps within the church that believe kind of different things. Or there may be times where we say, yeah, we don't know. Like there's no good answer to that. Or, or we have to go to scripture that maybe doesn't really seem like it applies completely because we're looking for bigger overarching themes of the Bible to guide us if the Bible doesn't specifically speak to something. So just understand all of that. Um, this is, is not an open forum. So give us some grace as we work through this. We'll do our best to answer as many questions as possible. Uh, also, two more things. Uh, just first of all, we can't guarantee exactly what topics we're going to get to this morning. So um, there may be little ears in the room and you might want to think about that and you can take the actions that you think are appropriate based on where the conversation goes. Obviously, we'll try to be, uh, you know, careful about what we're doing, but the topics may get uh, a little bit difficult. And again, we're going to do our best to answer you back if you put your name on it, uh, if we don't get your question during this time. So you guys ready? We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. Let's go. Uh, I'm the Andy. I'm one of the elders here as well. I want to make one other quick statement before we get rolling. We uh, we decided we're trying to make the two services uh, as different so we can cover as many topics. We have like we're approaching like I think a hundred questions uh, through two services. So we covered a lot of ground in the first service. We talked about homosexuality, suicide, divorce. Do pets go to heaven? Um, what am I missing, guys? There's a lot. A little bit political. There, well, political yeah, we, pieces. we even went political. I asked Joe who he voted for in 2020. <laughs> that did um, He did. Yep. yep. So we're going to try to, if we can, not repeat any. So if you're curious about some of those topics, you can watch First Service on YouTube and, and hear some of those answers. So without further ado, okay, first question, Joe. Ready? Ready or not, I'm here. Heart rate's going up again. All right. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Oh, so um, this is a really good question because, and I don't know who asked it or, or what the thought was behind it, but it's a, it's a thought-provoking question because I grew up in an environment where taking the Lord's name in vain was to like swear or to, you know, um, say God, substitute the name God for some sort of other expletive. And, and that's taking the Lord's name in vain. I don't, I think, um, I'm trying to think of even some modern scholarship that talks about this, but the idea there is far more comprehensive in that passage, right? That's part of the 10 commandments. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. What it means literally is to not render God's name as nothing, right? That's what vain means. It's meaningless. And so, so to, so to, to live in such a way where God's name means nothing is I think what that's commanding. It's not just the words we use and we, again, put God's name out there in a time we shouldn't. That's maybe could be part of it, but it's far more comprehensive. If you're living in such a way where God's name is meaningless in your life and you're, you're displaying that through your actions, God, God, God's name has no power um, and it's, it's pointless, then that's taking the Lord's name in vain. So I think when we look at the Ten Commandments or look at the law there and look at the command specifically to not take the Lord's name in vain, it's more than your words. It's your life. And that's a significant thing. So it's a really good question. Awesome. Okay. We're going to move into uh, another 
biblical topic, maybe not as cultural, but certainly in the church it's relevant, and that's, um, you know, what does the Bible say about speaking in tongues, and what does it look like in, in the church today? Okay. Yeah, thanks for the softball there, Eddie. That's a good one. Um, so this is, uh, I think we, when we did the Q&A in 2017, I think this topic came up too. So um, I shared there as well, and I think it's a, um, this is public uh, in terms of what I shared before, but the church has a position. I'm slightly different than the church, our church, and that's okay. We don't think this is a, a closed-handed issue. It's more of an open-handed issue. Uh, I want to begin by saying I grew up in a background where um, there was a really strong pushback from the charismatic movement. And so in our worship growing up, the church I went to is a little Baptist church. And it was like, if you showed any expression, like that's a bad thing. Like it looks like you're going to maybe charismatic. And so it was like, you know, any emotion involved in worship was stripped from it, which I feel like worship should have emotion, right? We're pouring out our adoration toward God. So I grew up in a background that really um, kind of labeled that as a terrible thing, an evil thing almost. And, um, I just want to begin by saying for there are a lot of people here probably who came from a charismatic or Pentecostal background and, hey, you can be my brother and sister in Christ and um, have a conviction that maybe doesn't align with the church and we still love you and are, you're welcome to be here and worship with us. That said, um, so scripture talks about tongues. Um, and um, so in some church circles, right, that's a ecstatic heavenly language that people speak. And there are parameters based on different church backgrounds, right? Some people speak that in worship or, speak, you know, will we'll speak tongues at various times. And the Bible talks about interpreting tongues. And so you have some people who say that's active in the church today. Our church holds to a position that's called cessationist. So what a cessationist position means is that the, the gift of tongues and some of the other charismatic gifts have ceased. And they pull that from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, it has a section where it talks about as for tongues and they've, they've ceased. And um, there's whole lot of other stuff in that passage. I personally would say that pragmatically, practically, I function like a cessationist, um, but I wouldn't theologically say that that passage is definitive and actually can verifiably say that tongues are completely done away with. I think that there's a little bit of um, guesswork and some speculation there that that's what it's talking about. But So I, I would say that the charismatic gifts are not normative in the church today. Um, God can do um, with the miraculous still, healings and things like that. It's just not something that is normative. We wouldn't see it all the time. Now that same, that same, that's it. That same token. I want to say one more thing about tongues. This is my unique uh, position and you can disagree and we can still be friends. Okay. So um, in the book of Acts chapter two, when Peter is there at Pentecost and all these nations have gathered together uh, to hear like it's, it's, it's festival time. It's the at Pentecost festival. So they've gathered from all over and it talks about all these nations under heaven who come together and Peter is filled with the Holy spirit. So he receives the Holy spirit. He's filled with the spirit and he's enabled to speak there. And everybody hears Peter speak in their language in that, in that section. Now the word tongue in Greek is glossa. Now that can mean your physical tongue as if the tongues of fire that are over the heads of the disciples in Acts two. Um, it also, we translate it tongues in scripture, but it also is translated just as languages. And in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's enabled to speak in tongues, I believe those are real languages that people actually hear in their mother tongue, their mother language, and understand the gospel, um, whether it doesn't matter which nation they came from, Peter's speaking and they all hear in their own language. And I think that's pretty explicit there. In fact, if you take the Acts 2 story of Pentecost and how they come together and hear in one language the gospel, it's an inversion of the Babel story. What happens in Babel? They all gather together and God spreads them out and confuses their language. Now the gospel is going forth and God's regathering the nations and they're unified and here in one language, the gospel proclaimed. So in Acts 2, I am convinced that the tongues that are spoken there are actual languages. And for me then, it, it really, um, you have to prove that the, the rest of the examples of tongues aren't actual languages. I know people will push back on that. And say, like in 1 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about tongues, those are clearly heavenly languages. He'll say, you know, what's 1 Corinthians 13? It says, if I speak in the tongue, tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Um, I would just push back from that position a little bit because I think Paul is specifically speaking um, in a way that's hyperbolic there, right? If I speak in the tongue of, tongues of men and angels, but have not love, what does he say? I'm a clanging gong. It doesn't mean he's literally a clanging gong. That's anthropomorphism. Now he's saying, like, he's talking about the importance of love. I, I can have the most eloquent language, the, the language of angels. So the whole point there is in 1 Corinthians and the other references, 
Is it an actual real language or not? I actually hold to the position that in the Bible, tongues, the gift of tongues, are people who don't speak a native language, but supernaturally are able to speak a language that someone else understands in their own tongue, their own language. And predominantly it's seen when the gospel goes forth. And I've even heard stories of missionaries who, you know, went somewhere and they were unable to, to communicate the gospel in someone else's language. So that's kind of my position. But if you believe differently, we can still be friends and get along. So, so just, I was just going to follow up with what you talked a little bit about at the beginning of open hand and closed hand, just to make sure. sure we're kind of clear on that. So we sometimes use this terminology in the church of open hand versus closed hand. So we believe that there are some things in the Bible that are closed hand, which means those are, those are things we're, we're, we're going to have to fight over, like no sure. offense, but like we really believe them to be yeah. true. So the triune God, yeah. God, the father, God, Did the son, Jesus God rise from the dead. Did Jesus rise from the dead. Yes. There, there are things, is, is the Bible, the true authority and the true word of God? Yes, those, those are not things we're going to debate with each other, and we will hold them very closely yeah. to ourselves. Open-handed would be items in the Bible that there's, there's kind of, we're not sure, and we don't believe that it has an impact on our salvation sure. or, or something like that. So we hold them more open. We're willing for different interpretations, and we really believe we can still be faithful to Christ even with those different yeah. beliefs. And, and the reason I say pragmatically I'm a cessationist but not theologically is because I can't substantiate it from Scripture. But practically, you kind of have to go one way or the other. Either you believe in them and you practice them, or you're fine with practicing the charismatic gifts, or, or you don't. And so, for me, that's kind of where I line, line up. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Let's talk. You want to talk about heaven? Let's talk about heaven. I got a, sure. a lot on here about heaven. Okay. Um, so, let's start. This one is, is pretty well worded. So, okay. um, do souls go to heaven immediately or when Jesus comes back. And then there's another one that is kind of along the same lines about, you know, um, losing your salvation and do murderers go to heaven. And, and so like three or four along those lines, maybe just talk a little bit about heaven and what that looks like. Okay. One, one also said, are there different levels of heaven oh, okay. for people who are there? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's like, Three questions. <laughs> That's three, three All right. questions in one. Let's just start with heaven. Um, okay, so the word, the, the way that heaven is used in scripture, um, it, it's God's space. Right? It's the place where, where God is and God rules and God reigns. And um, based on my understanding of scripture, when a follower of Jesus dies, immediately the immaterial portion of that person, right, soul, spirit, um, go to be with the Lord, with Jesus. Uh, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He says that in first Corinthians. So um, to, to when you die, your, your immaterial part of you is, is separated from the body and you go to be with the Lord. There's a reason why Jesus says to the thief on the cross today, you'll be with me in paradise, right? You'll be with the Lord right away. So I believe that there's a present heaven where the souls, spirits of those who have died in Christ or those who look forward to the promises of God and the, the old Testament, um, they're now at, with the Lord right now, um, but not in, a, not in a physical body, right? So, so the real story of the Bible, heaven, where it all leads, it's, it's new creation, it's resurrection. So I've shared this before and it's redundant, but as a kid, I would always hear, you know, we would sing hymns at church and that heaven's going to be just like that. We're just going to sit and sing hymns. And I, I knew I didn't want to go to hell, but I really didn't want to go to heaven either. That sounded like a drag. Um, heaven right now, there's a present waiting but that waiting is for the redemption of, of our bodies. We're going to be with the Lord substantively, face-to-face, on a new heaven, new earth. And so, um, so that's there. Now, there, the question about... Um, Le- levels of heaven? or level? Oh, like reward levels of... Are there levels? I mean, yeah. Okay. The question, I think, so, is are there levels of heaven? Okay. Um, Based on whether you're faithful or... Yeah, yeah, okay. Maybe you yeah. saved in, you know... Yeah, so... Yeah, so 1 Corinthians uh, 3, I believe, um, it talks about your works um, being burned up and, and it's judgment. So there's a, there's a judgment for believers and unbelievers, right? The judgment for believers is not a judgment unto condemnation, right? Romans 8 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have zero condemnation. We don't, have any def- we don't need to stand before the judge one day and give account of our sin. That's already happened in Christ. Jesus was judged for us. So... Um, unbelievers will have to give an account for their sin, but, but believers, we're judged according to our works. And first Corinthians three talk, talks about that, that there are certain things that we do in life and we build a foundation 
Some are of these precious jewels, it says, and some are of wood or hay or stubble. And we're going to be tested as through fire. There's going to be a judgment. And, and what endures through that is how we're rewarded. And so I think that what Paul is talking about there is that there are degrees to which um, but believers um, are rewarded in heaven. Um, I don't, I wouldn't go with the level. I mean, maybe they're referring to Paul when he talks about the third heaven, that's a whole separate thing and cosmology. And I won't even get into that discussion right now, but um, yeah, in terms of reward, there are degrees to reward. And there's also degrees of, of judgment, which we can get into that at some point if somebody wants also, I'll wait for another question. There's another part of that though. What's the third one? I think just the, um, I think it was kind of tied back to one of the questions you answered in the series, as far as can you lose your salvation? Oh, correct. Yeah. And we kind of answered that. Okay. Specific to murder. Yeah. Specific to murder. Like you, you can't lose your salvation. Even murderers go to heaven. Oh, okay. Helpful. Okay. That was the last one. Yeah. So what I would just say is Paul was a murderer, right? I mean, he approved of the, the death of Stephen and he took, he said he was the chief of sinners. And yet by God's grace, he's, he's saved. Um, it's amazing the extent of God's grace. And, um, you know, I believe that he, he can cover a multitude of sins. So I would say that, but at the same time, I'd also say, um, well, should I wait? I'll just jump in there for those who are judged according to their sin. I did reference that. I also believe there are degrees of judgment. Um, we have a, a culture where the idea of a loving God sending people to hell is absolutely reprehensible. Like how on earth could that happen? Um, and I've shared before, it's, we're, we're in a pretty coddled culture where we don't experience a lot of hardship. If you went and talked to the Jewish people who were in concentration camps and said, Hey, you know, God's loving. So no one's going to be judged for their sin. They would be pretty upset, uh, live in places of the world where people experience just tremendous injustice. They want a just God. It's good that God is a God of justice. And the real question isn't why would, you know, a loving God send uh, people to hell, hell. It's, it's really how, how would a ju- just God send people to heaven? They did it through Jesus, but those who sin, those who, um, who, who are judged according to their uh, sin, the judgment of unbelievers, which is called the great white throne is this distinct from believers. It's called the Bema seat judgment. They're judged according to their sin. And there's a de- different degrees of judgment. Uh, Jesus, when he was speaking to the cities, uh, this is in the gospel somewhere. I don't know. Matthew 11. I don't know. Nate's going to be my fact checker and tell me if I'm wrong, but he's, he's giving these, these, these woes to the cities. And he says, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Chorazin, for if the things I had done to you, I had done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago with sackcloth and ashes. But he says, it's going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for them than for you. And then Jesus goes on to say the same thing uh, with um, Capernaum. He says, woe to you, Capernaum, if the things I had done in you, I had done in Sodom, it would still be here today but it's going to be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for you, Capernaum. And the whole point is Jesus preached the gospel to uh, the city of Capernaum and they rejected him, right? Their sin was with knowledge. And so there are degrees that God judges based on sin and on light, how much knowledge you have. So um, yeah, there are degrees to judgment and to reward. You got it. Matthew chapter one. That's right. And also he's, he's three for three, I think now in every time he's referenced, which is awesome. Also first Corinthians chapter three, if you're looking for that part about heaven and the rewards piece, that's yep. verses 10 through 4, 15, 10 to 15 in first Corinthians three. Cool. Yep. Keep the questions coming guys. Uh, when Nate and I whisper, just so you know, we're not just thinking about how to torture Joe. Yeah, they're we're plotting also, and scheming over here. We're also putting together a little lightning round at the end. So, um, yeah, we it's got gonna be great. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, now that we've given you a couple easy ones, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So again, we talked about homosexuality in the first service, but another theme that is, is definitely coming out is um, transgender, LGBTQ, and you know what does the Bible say, and, and what does it look like for a Christian uh, in terms of how to operate in culture today? With um, you know, yeah, as it relates to that issue. Well, thanks for the easy question, Andy. Yeah. Um, I, I think I could talk a little bit about. LGBTQ, well, at least the homosexuality in the first one. So I'm going to, I'm going to, for the sake of time, let people go to some of that a little more. I can hit the transgender one a little bit. That's okay. Some more on the identity side. Yeah. So, so similar to what I said with that, let me just begin by saying that I want to um, be faithful to what scripture teaches. The way that I believe that I should be directed, you know, the world will define certain things. Um, 
morality, what's right, wrong, how things should be. And the word also defines it. And I think that the world changes. The word doesn't. And as a faithful Bible-believing Christian who's a pastor at a Bible church, I want to I align myself with the word. So I want to start there. But I want to do this in a way that's, that's just loving and gracious. Um, I think sometimes the church has done a really bad job of that in the past and has been very critical, condemning, um, negative, downright mean toward people uh, of different walks of life. And I want to be sensitive to some of that. So to just begin, um, the biblical perspective, right, on, on the gender question, right? There is, in the Bible, it's a very kind of binary, binary thing. You've got male, female. Um, and we would say here that the sex assigned to you at birth would be um, the way God created you. However, let me just throw this out there. Um, and I actually would appeal to a guy like Sam Alberry and the way he approaches this. It's, a, it's a very, I think, very thoughtful. You have people who right now in our culture who the sex assigned to them at birth, whether they're male or female, is not their gender identity, right? There's gender dysphoria. So they, they don't feel at home in their body. They feel like there's something with their body that they don't belong there. And often in the church, we kind of just like say, man, those people who do that or think that, and we cast, we cast that away. And I want to pastor people through stuff. Like uh, shame on me if I'm just going to like push people to the side who, who are struggling, right? With their identity. And I would say that we of all people in the church should be the most understanding and gracious of people who don't feel at home in their body. Why? Because we have broken bodies. Uh, Romans, um, Chapter 8 says, all creation is subject to frustration and futility. There's a brokenness to all our bodies. And so for people to not feel at home in their body, we actually have an answer for that. It's because we have a flawed, broken body. And inwardly, we're groaning for redemption. This is what Romans 8 says. There's an inward groaning for the redemption of our bodies that we await in the day of the Lord when he returns. And so for us to just begin by saying, hey, I want to start by saying there are people who struggle with that and we should at least understand and be sympathetic. Hey, that is a struggle because we are broken in our bodies. The challenge is that in the culture today, the solution to feeling not at home in your body is to alter your body, which again is just trying to, to do something to an already broken body that's never going to be enough because your body is broken. And then this is where Alberry would, would go with this I think the hope that we have in Christ is that when we don't try to alter our own body to feel at home and feel a sense of belonging, but instead we turn to the broken body of Jesus, who was broken for us, and we trust in Jesus, there is an identity in Christ that is so meaningful and powerful that um, I shared in first service, but you know, my sexuality doesn't define me. Uh, I'm not first and foremost heterosexual. I'm not first and foremost a husband or a father. I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ. And I think for people who struggle with gender dysphoria, we should be loving, gracious, try to understand the struggle, but pastor them through that to say, hey, listen, there, there's, there's a greater identity that you can pursue in Jesus and, and he's enough. And yeah, the frustration you might feel, you might continue to feel like that through life because we have broken bodies. But guess what? God's transforming our bodies. He's going to restore these broken bodies and we're going to be patterned after Jesus. And so I think that that's a loving, hopeful gracious way to respond to, to the transgender community than just to kind of throw them off and, and be critical. So. Good job. Hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I think that's so important because uh, we, people can find their identities in a lot of different ways sure. that are, are not the way that God designed for us to find them. Um, that this is one way through a gender identification, but it can also be through other worldly things that we yeah. identify ourselves primarily as, as you said, instead of as a Christ follower. And that's and, and troubling I, as well. And I think the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel is for the world. You know, when Jesus talks about there's no male nor female nor slave nor free, I know it's, it's all races. Um, the hope of the gospel is the hope for the world. And no matter who you are or what you're wrestling with, there's hope in Jesus. And there's a sense of belonging that can be found in him and identity, which is just huge. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, the next one is, I mean, we're getting back to heaven a little bit, but a little bit different angle on it. And this was, Nate and I thought this was good. Do those who are unaware of Jesus still receive heaven? Okay, <clears throat> great question. So 
I, I want to just give a one word answer, but I think it deserves a little more than that. So let me just start there. Um, there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved other than Jesus. Acts, okay. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12. Right? Yeah, sure. Just check. You just say, yeah. It's yeah. Acts 4.12. Great. Yeah. Good job, mate. Well done. Okay, good. So no other name apart from Jesus. And uh, yeah, you're, yeah, good job. Um, so what's the question again? Sorry, you're you referenced to me. Very sorry, but it is Acts 4.12. I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, so what I would say is um, people who don't know Christ, again, I went, I'll go back to the thing about the judgment with Jesus, right? He, he judges based on sin, on the deeds done in the body, and on knowledge, so the whole woe to you thing I talked about in that whole section, you know, the, the cities of uh, Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum, they had Jesus right there preaching the gospel and they rejected him. And so he said, it's going to be way worse for you. There are people around the world who don't have the gospel. You know, we, many people here, we might reject the gospel and we have it all around us, but there are places around the world where people don't, don't have a, a gospel witness, you know, different, um, I think about just, you know, I had a mission trip to, to central China and there are places, just villages of people who, who still are relatively largely unreached, even though there's the internet and they have some of that and they don't have a, a language where the, the Bible is translated. There are still languages being translated um, the Bible. So the, the challenge with that is what I would say is Jesus is the only one that saves. Now, Romans chapter one is where we get um, kind of the definitive answer on that. Romans one says that we're all without excuse because God has revealed himself to all creation through the things that are made. Therefore, we have no excuse. So um, I think that people who have no awareness of Jesus, maybe they're living somewhere or something like that, they, um, they're still culpable according to the Bible, but God will take into account, God is a fair judge. Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? That's a, a, an implicit, yes, absolutely he will, right? He will do what's right. And so God will judge fairly. It'll be based on deeds done in the body and on knowledge. And there'll be a lot less of a, of a judgment. But at the same time, this is where the church should step up. Romans 10, how shall they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless someone's sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? We need to go and share the gospel with those around us. So that way the world does hear the good news of Jesus. So I just trust in Jesus that he'll be fair. Now, this question could also be referring to like infants, so which is why say, I didn't. What about younger children? Kind of. Yeah. So. I'm just going to go back to appealing to what it's at, what Abraham says, right? Is it Genesis 18? You're going to fact check me. Genesis 18. Shall not the judge of all the earth do that, which is right. That's the section where he's asking if Sodom and Gomorrah should be um, destroyed. And I believe he's going to do right there. Um, having some personal familiarity with the loss of a child. This is something I wanted to dive into deeply. And I'm, I personally hold to the conviction that God will do right. And that, um, in his grace, he can cover those who, who don't know. Um, and I, I would appeal to this, the passage in um, Samuel, just where David uh, with Bathsheba, um, he sins and he, the judgment is that he's going to lose his child. Now, there's a whole lot of debate there because of, you know, the Old Testament understanding of heaven and Sheol and a lot of people go into stuff. But for me, I just go with David's reaction. David was mourning and crying while the baby was still alive, pleading for it to, to stay alive. But the moment the baby died, he took comfort and he cleaned himself up and they were confused by this. And David says, well, I know the child won't come back to me because it's dead, but I will go to be with the child. And if David's just talking about the grave, I don't know why that would bring him comfort. I think that's a meaningful, substantive hope that David has, who's clearly a believer. The Holy Spirit never left him, right? That David was a follower of looking forward to the promises of God, that he was a follower of Yahweh and a believer, that David went to heaven and that he had hoped that he would see his child. And so I take comfort in that passage, but I, I mostly, you know, I grew up in a church where they talked about the age of accountability. That's kind of a, not a, a real thing in the Bible, just kind of like us coming up with stuff. God's going to do what's right, um, but we're responsible to, to preach the gospel. Sorry, that was a long answer. That's perfect. And Genesis 18, 25. Will not the judge of all the earth do Sweet. right? Good job. Thanks, man. Okay. So a couple more. Uh, it's fine. These are coming up a couple times. And so we're going to go first to the anointing of head and prayers. And then we're going to talk about head covering. So I'm just I'm going to give you a brief heads up, not to confuse you, but I'll ask this first question. Okay. Do you believe in the anointing of the head and, prayer and oh. prayers or praying over someone? Ah, 
Yeah. Okay. So that, I didn't know what you said at first. So I was like really nervous because I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I get it now. Um, yeah. So, so anointing like with oil and prayer. Yeah. So at the end of the book of James, it talks about those who are sick and it's, they call the elders, right? And then the elders um, will anoint their head and pray over them. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and raise them up. So, um, so do we believe in the anointing of the head and prayers? We, as an elder board, well, actually, I probably should give some of this to you. Why don't you guys share some of our experience? So, yeah, this is something we've done periodically yeah. uh, over the past, I don't know, five to ten years. Yeah. Uh, not super frequently, but certainly it's something we've done where we've had uh, people come to us uh, with uh, illness or sickness of some sort and asked us to come and pray with them. And it's been part of what we've done um, just because the Bible specifically speaks to it. Um, and so we we have practiced it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, I mean, in terms of the role of an elder, I think that's why you kicked it over to us. I, we won't get too long winded here because I want to let Joe answer yeah. a lot of these really good questions. But <laughs> it also it, gave me a chance to, to prep for my next question. Okay, good. That's, that's what Strategic. I figured you were doing. Yeah. Well done. Well played. Uh, if you look at First uh, Peter and you look at the book of Titus and it will talk about um, the role of an elder, but I mean, the, the quick version, am I good? Okay. It, to protect, to lead, and to feed the flock and to care for the flock's needs. So it's a pastoral role. Um, and yeah, we could probably go a lot of different directions with that, but that's, so, yeah, we, we, we meet bi-weekly and we're, we're praying for all kinds of things in the church. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we use those terms, elder, pastor, overseer, synonymously and see them in the same role yeah. within the church. So we, yeah, but we do, the answer is yes, we do believe in the anointing and praying. To the next question. Now, now, do you even need to ask you? You just want to start talking about head coverings. I mean, yeah, sure. Why, why sure. don't women wear head coverings? Anymore? Yeah. Um, why don't they anymore? Okay. So that's a great question. Why don't we enforce that? So um, in first Corinthians 11, which I double checked by looking at my notes right there, there's the section where it talks all about head coverings for women. And, um, and it's a really strange passage with, with a lot of debate there and, and, disagreement on a number of things. What I would say is, again, I've said this before, the Bible is for us. It was not written to us. And the best way to understand how it's for us is to first understand who it was written to. So when we get to the the New Testament and like specifically places like Corinth, right, which was just a hotbed for all sorts of drama and sin and problems, in that culture, head coverings had a profound um, cultural significance, right? So a woman who um, exposed themselves, their hair, um, was a sign in that culture of the fact that they were single and looking. That makes sense, right? So if you're a, a married woman and you show up to church with your head uncovered, it's basically like the equivalent of a wedding ring today. Hey, I'm of single and available, fellas. That's kind of the way it came out. And so there, it, that's a dishonoring thing to the husband in that culture. And so what they would say is, you know, you, you should cover your head in, in the meeting. And so I would, I would appeal to culture there. And say the equivalent is, you know, if, if you're here and you're married, but you're trying to pick up chicks or talk, you know, talk on other people, like that's a problem. You shouldn't do that. And um, it's always the challenge in scripture, right? Is there are times where there's a, a command, a, a specific command. You have to find out if it's a binding command or it's a cultural expression of a biblical principle. Let me give you a good example. We're commanded in the Bible to greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you kissed me or one another when you got here? You're all a bunch of sinners, right? No, it's a, it's a cultural expression. That culture, that was how you greeted one another. I hope that you shook people's hand or said what's up, you know, or did that kind of, that's our culture. And so here I would say that what we don't do is we don't take the binding command because that's a cultural thing. We extract from the culture, the, the principle, and we apply it to today. So we shouldn't, you know, if we're married, walk around acting like we're available. Now there's a whole weird thing about the angels there, which is, that's what makes it so weird too. And I think that's an appeal to Genesis 6, and the whole Nephilim thing, right? You know, the sons of God and the daughter. It's, I think that they're appealing back to some, some, some deviant sexual activity there, but I'm going to save that for another Q&A. So. so just to summarize that part a little bit, if you're a married person, you should not come to church looking to pick up other people. Yes. Right? That's it. Okay. Just I, I, at least my interpretation. You might disagree, but yes. <laughs> no, thank you. I just want to clarify. Yeah. Sure. What's the what's the male equivalent of chicks? I mean, I don't want anyone to leave dudes. here assigned to du- dudes, dudes and chicks. Dudes. Hunks. Okay. Just so Hunks. We're fair. Hunks. Okay. Stud muffins. All right. Um, all right. We, we touched on this very briefly, but since we didn't uh, expound on it a ton, I'm going to go ahead and throw this over to you. Another easy one, Joe, and let's talk about abortion. Um, specifically, 
This question, I think you can take it from a number of angles. Okay. Is abortion okay for saving the life of a mother? So maybe let's oh. talk about that a little bit. I mean, thanks for the softball, Andy. I, I, want, I, mean, I want to speak into abortion a little bit. I mean, I, boy. Um, so I don't, okay, let me begin here. Um, again, this is a delicate subject. And the church often approaches this very similar, right? Where we um, will take a very definitive and blanket statement and will really um, be pretty brutal and harsh. There are people who um, struggle with pregnancies. And I, I would say that there's a lot of grace. I know people who the mother you know, was going to die and, and that was a choice they made. And I would say there's not like a play, playbook for that scenario in the Bible, but like God knows and God understands. And, and I think that there's grace there and you know, I don't want to like label anything like that as sinful. I, I, that's just a hard thing. Um, I, every scenario is different. I want to speak just about abortion for a minute. Can I pivot to that a little bit? Not that I'm trying to dodge. I just don't know how I want to answer that or how I would answer that. Um, so I do think when it comes to the topic of abortion, um, the church historically has always held to the sanctity of, of life. So I want to start by, by that. Now, abortion was not common in the early church, first century. Primitive medicine, that didn't happen very often. Um, but people abandoned their children and the trash dumps in Rome and early Christians came along and they took the child into their home and they would rescue them and adopt them. And so I think that when we were talking about, right, the overturning of Roe versus Wade right now, this is a hot button issue for a lot of people. What I would say is for me to protect the sanctity of that human life is important as a Christian. I'm definitely, um, in favor of, of, I believe that, that life begins at conception. I do believe that. Um, Psalm 139. We're fearfully and wonderfully created. We were knit together in our mother's womb. Jesus was a fetus. And he encountered John the Baptist. who we were both in the womb. And John the Baptist leapt with joy. I mean, that's, that's a pretty high, I mean, that's not a clump of cells. So I would say that life begins at conception. At the same time, as, as a Christian, the indictment, and I think it's fair that we just care about babies being born, but then we don't care about how they're taken care of. That's wrong. We can do better as Christians, and I really think that, especially with what's going on in this country, the burden should fall on Christians who are beating that drum about pro-life. We should be pro-whole life as well. And I think a lot of people need to step up. And I'm talking to myself and the convictions I personally feel, I mean, I'm burdened by what's going on. And I think that the, the early church modeled that well. They didn't just care about rescuing the baby and giving it back to somebody else and didn't care. No, they took care of the child. That was what the sanctity of life looked look like in the first century. And I think in the church, you know, we're, we need to understand that, that we need to care for families then and the mothers who are, you know, that's why Life Clinic is such a great organization around here. And we support them. Like, we want to care for the family. We want to, if someone can't take care of a child, Christians should adopt or foster um, and focus on the whole life, not just on the birth. But, so. That's a tough one. Really tough one. Yeah. In, we appreciate the question. It's yeah. Difficult. And, and for those who've had abortions, again, I want to same thing, like just love and grace. There's forgiveness offered in Jesus. We love you. If that's a hard, challenging thing. It's not something typically, you know, that people just do lightly. Right. So, I, I mean, I want to be gracious there, too, and, and, and express love and sympathy there. Great. OK, I think are we going to try a few lightning questions. All right. Now, I want to give Pastor Joe a little um, chance to, uh, if you need to pass, that's okay. I'm allowed to because pass. Because there, there may be questions that I tried to pick some ones that I felt like you could give a pretty quick answer, but if you would feel like even giving that answer will put you in a spot where, without explaining it, yeah. it just yeah. really hurts the, the subject. Yeah, it's, it's hard. This is a monologue, everybody. This is not a dialogue. Most yeah. of these things are better done in dialogue with people. So, yeah. so. so we're going to yeah. give you that option to pass okay. if it doesn't fit a lightning round scenario. Sure. All right, lightning round, ready, go. Are we supposed to be resting on Saturday versus Sunday? Oh, uh, well, the question is, should we, we be resting at all? That's a bigger question. So the Sabbath was a Saturday in the Jewish culture. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, the church started gathering on the Lord's Day, the first day. The real question is, what about the Sabbath? Is that a binding command? And if you listen back to my sermons, I actually believe that that's not a binding command. I believe that we're commanded to rest in Christ and that you read Hebrews chapter four, our, my Sabbath rest is in Jesus. Now, is it a principle I should apply? Absolutely. I should rest. But um, for me, my day off from church here is Monday. And that's kind of my rest day through the week. And uh, it's not a Saturday or a Sunday. And I'm cool with it. So, 
Does God still perform miracles and signs? Yeah, he is supernatural. Uh, signs? Oh, okay. The word sign is loaded there. So, um, so uh, miracles, absolutely, he's supernatural. Um, again, I wouldn't say that some of those things are normative in the church. Some, some of the signs thing, uh, things have po- uh, pointed to the authentication of the gospel under the apostolic era. So, yes, he does miracles. Will Jews and Muslims, non-Christian religions, go to heaven when they die? Apart from Jesus, um, none of us, right? And the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. I know that's a tough one with the Jewish thing. Some people will push back on that. I think there's an ingathering of the Jews that Scripture talks about. Um, but it's, it's the true Israel or those who embrace Christ. How can a couple fight, in quotes, fights in quotes, so yeah. let's be clear on what that means, in a way that glorifies God? I don't know. If you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think conflict is inevitable. Um, the thing that's, that's tricky about it, right? Colossians talks about putting on clothing yourself in Christ. And it says, um, you know, people say, uh, forgiving, you know, obviously forgiveness needs to mark that forgiving and forgetting the Bible teaches it actually doesn't. It says forgiving and forbearing. In Colossians 3, you forgive and you kind of put up with each other. And I think the challenge is there are disagreements in a marriage and it's a hard struggle, but by God's grace um, to disagree and not take it to a place that's, that's too far. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, and outdo one another in grace, right? Which yeah, means um, that maybe, maybe you need to be the first one to take the step of yeah. lowering yourself and uh, trying to begin reconciliation yeah. while also dealing with the issue in a helpful way because yeah. it's still important. It's a great question, though. Okay, maybe even Nate can jump in on this one a little bit. What's your opinion on Dave Ramsey's methodology? Okay, so we're offering, I'll I'll start. Sure, great. Uh, So we're offering financial peace coming up, which is a Dave Ramsey class. I'm pretty familiar with uh, Dave Ramsey. Um, I will just say a couple things. Um, There's a lot going on there probably because you might be thinking about his methodology in terms of his uh, personality, which I can understand that there may be some reasons why that, or you might be talking about this idea of um, we should amass wealth, which is a question that we would be asking ourselves as Christians. Is that really what we're supposed to be doing is amassing wealth? Um, I think that's challenging to just say, oh yeah, we're all in on that. I do believe that Dave Ramsey's uh, material is very good and has very practical ways for us as Christians to understand the importance of budgeting and saving for the future. And he does a great job of emphasizing generosity that uh, the, that by being better stewards of the financial financial uh, gifts that God has given us, we can therefore go and be a help to the church, mm-hmm. to the world at large, which I think is very important. Um, I can understand that sometimes it feels like it's about amassing wealth. Mm-hmm. I would just say um, Dave Ramsey is a, a man like all of us. He's a, he's a human person, and to think that he has a perfectly um, perfect system that's not doesn't have any flaws is probably something we should just acknowledge. So, yeah. And I think the principle of pursuing a debt free lifestyle is biblical as well. You know, the borrower slave to the lender. So I think that's important. Although if we just amass a bunch of debt, it'd just be forgiven anyway. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. (laughs) Totally joking. That was a joke. Just a joke. If you want to know where I stand politically, go back to service one. That was a joke. That was a joke. I was going to say, for those of you... Just had to throw it out there. For those of you that think Joe is starting to lean one way politically, Um, that's not our... Actually, he talked in the first service, uh, the early church, it's why the church is neither Republican nor Democrat. The early church, actually, if you were to tie it to today, exhibits kind of two main characteristics from both what maybe Republicans would today and two main characteristics from Democrats. So make sure you go check that out. Sure. Okay. Um, how, let me ask this one instead. What is a covenant? It's a, well, it's a promise, but it's, um, it's more than just a little promise. It's a binding promise. So in the Bible, we have different covenants. I mean, the two big ones, you have the old covenant and you have the new covenant. It's a, it's a uh, commitment. So, um, what that would be is a, a binding promise. So for us in the church, the new covenant is, is a binding promise that Jesus makes to the church that, that joins us together. So, yeah, it's a, a promise. Okay, just two more then. Okay. okay. All right. How did the animals get back to where they belonged after the ark? Oh. Not not totally lightning round, but since we only have two left, I just thought I'd throw that How did the way. animals get back? So, to where they belonged after the ark. After the, the ark. 
Oh, they walked. <laughs> what do you like? They got a bus. What's the question? Like, what else would it be? I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> like I don't know. They walked. I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. Gotcha. God so, teleported them. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Last one, and I want to ask this one um, because um, it's a question that could have even come in over the course of these two services. And, and, and perhaps somebody is offended. So I, I want to you know, give you the opportunity, Joel, oh. to, to tackle this, which is um, how do you overcome offense or rejection by a church leader? Offense or rejection by a church leader? And so, this is yeah. our last question. We're going to wrap yeah. up with this one here. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, again, I would... So the challenge here is I'm not infallible. Um, there's only one who's infallible and perfect, and that's Jesus. Uh, none of us are perfect shepherds. We're under shepherds who uh, have the grace and privilege of being able to serve uh, Jesus and the church. And so I know a lot of people are hurt by the church. You've, some of you maybe came from a kind of church hurt experience where you went through a lot of hardship, and um, that's hard to get over. And I want to just offer my sympathies and comfort to you. That's a really difficult thing. I think it takes time. Um, and it's it's challenging, but just to recognize that just because somebody um, is a pastor or in a church, right, the, the church is full of sinful people. And that's the beauty of it, is that God uses, as a means of advancing the gospel, broken, sinful, flawed people to carry out his work. And so just understanding some of that, um, trying to offer grace, trying to lean into the forgiveness that Jesus offered you and extend that to others is really uh, an important thing. But, it, you know, I'm... I'm saddened at how often people are hurt by the church. And, you know, if I am ever um, complicit in participating in that, um, that that's tragic and sad. I was just going to say exactly what you said there at the end. It, it, as leaders, I, I won't speak for you two, but I will speak yeah. for myself that uh, I, as a part of the leadership team, I, I think about this frequently, that there's probably decisions we make or processes that we follow or whatever, things that we allow to happen within our church that are hurtful to people. And that's, it's really unfortunate. It's, it's of course not what we ever want to happen. Um, but, but we are flawed people. And so, um, I would just encourage people to one, um, remember the, that forgiveness is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, but also to, when you're ready, um, you know, make sure that we can deal with that in a, a helpful manner. Um, because I don't ever want somebody to be offended or hurt by something I've done. Um, and not have the opportunity to uh, ask for forgiveness for that offense that I've created. So I think that's really important, and it, it's sad, but it does happen in the church. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Okay, before I kick it back over to you, Nate, to close, um, I just want to put a quick plug in. Um, we have a ton of questions in here, guys, and we, could, we couldn't get to them all. We already told Jordan and the worship team we're going to go over. We're, we're over our time. So if you have a question that you didn't get answered today and you really want it answered, it is our heart to try and answer all the questions that came in. I still haven't had anybody put a name on a question, but if you would like us to follow up, please feel free to submit that question with your name mm -hmm. and we're going to try to respond. And I did have some people ask and, you know, potentially I, that's a lot of questions. I've, I've got a day job, so I can't just answer all the questions all day long, but maybe we can try to put out some of the ones that were asked either on subsequent material, whether it's an email or whether it's a video or something. So, And I just want to clarify, I think the way we're seeing it on our screen doesn't necessarily show us the name. So if you submitted a name, I, I believe we are capturing those. It's just, there. it's showing us in a different way. Oh, yeah, so gotcha. I think we're okay. Okay, great. Um, hey, how about our pastor? This is no small thing. Um, Joe is usually very comfortable in front of people. He does a great job. And when I looked over first service and was just getting ready to launch it, it was the most uncomfortable I've ever seen him in my lifetime. <laughs> I was like, wow, I could see it on his face. Uh, so nervous. he has done a fantastic job. We are so grateful uh, to have him on our team yeah, and uh, grateful for his heart to try to just answer your questions and represent the gospel well today. Um, we're going to close up and we're going to pray here in just a second. But before we do that, I just want to say we're going to sing a song uh, called Freedom is Coming. This is our closing song today. And I just want to mention how powerful that is because it's all about the fact that in Jesus, we have freedom. We get to let go of the things that chain us down in this world. And so maybe one of the questions you asked today was a really tough question. 
Maybe, maybe the abortion question hits very close to your heart. And so the, the things of our lives sometimes can feel like they just completely surround us. And, and there's no hope, and it's so difficult. And, and I just really hope that as we close our service today, with a song called Freedom is Coming, that you're able to embrace the fact that we have a loving Savior in Jesus who came to this world for us to pay the penalty for our sins and to set us free so we could live in communion with God, which is the most beneficial thing that could ever happen to us. And so I just pray that we would respond that way, that you would feel that today. We're so thankful for all of you being here, for submitting your questions. Let's pray and we're going to sing. Father, we're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the freedom that is found in the name of Jesus. And we're thankful for the fact that you sent him for us. We pray that today, as some of us carry burdens, Father, these questions are not just random questions. A lot of these questions come from a place of true experience. I think of, of the abortion. I think of, of the questions about homosexuality or, or identity or what to do when uh, someone in a member of the church leadership has offended you or hurt you. These come from places that are real for people. And so we pray for them today. We pray for every heart in this room and the challenges that they face. We pray, Father, that you would wrap your arms around them, help them to feel your presence through the Holy Spirit in this moment. And we pray that everything we've done today would be honoring to you. That everything we've done today would be honoring to you. That you would be drawing people closer to you, even when presented with the facts and the truth of the Bible, that people would still be drawn into you because you're a loving God who's taken the first step. And so we thank you for that today as well. We pray that these things would happen. We pray now that we would sing in true response about the freedom we find in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.